Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Guy Friedman, who is the co-founder and CEO of SteadyMD, which you can find at SteadyMD.com. And SteadyMD is a technology platform and healthcare provider focusing on creating personal relationships completely online. They're essentially your online personal doctor, and they partner you with a doctor who really gets to know you, listens to you, and has time for you. All of this aligned with your life. Very innovative company in this space, something that's just kind of a no-brainer in terms of offering the, the service that they do, and they've grown uh, tremendously over, over the last number of years to the point where they just recently raised their Series A of funding. I've raised about $10 million so far. In this episode, Guy goes through how he started this business, his experience growing startups. It's not his first startup, and really what it takes to actually build a company, grow a company, uh, develop a team, all of that, and much much, much more in this episode of the podcast. As always, the show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and a review over an Apple podcast. Without further ado, here is Guy Friedman, the co-founder and CEO of SteadyMD. Guy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yes, great to have you on and obviously talking about Steady, and you've, you've been... Uh, entrepreneur previously as well, having started another company and sold that company. So a wealth of experience to offer to the listeners, which is the reason why I'm excited to have you on. But for SteadyMD, I'm curious as to how did this get started in the first place, Guy? Sure. So, I mean, uh, I had just come off a previous startup experience, um, had sold my previous startup and I was working for the acquirer actually for a few years. And then when I left that, um, I was really exploring healthcare and telemedicine. My previous startup was eventually in this space called online proctoring, which is when you test a student remotely for a college or university for like a midterm or final if they're an online student. We'd watch you over the webcam so you couldn't cheat. That was that was the business. Um, and so I, I sold that business and worked for the acquirer in the space, but they, they got a lot of scale and grew very fast. So I felt like the skills I learned from working with that company translated really well to telemedicine. So I took some time off and just really studied the whole healthcare industry, you know, from your traditional telemedicine companies to every little nook and cranny of the, of the space. And the more I studied it, the more I didn't like any of the business models currently associated with it. Um, I think uh, most of healthcare in general is designed for episodic care around sick visits. So, call me when you're sick is basically the business model. And then I'll see you in bill insurance from the giant hospital to the individual practitioner. That's kind of how everyone operates. And I felt like uh, there was a big hole in the market around the time, attention, relationship with a physician. So that's really been the focus and North Star of the company. Um, We uniquely focus, I think, in the space on enhancing and building relationships between doctors and patients. And that's been the uh, focus from day one in terms of product, team, tech, doctors. And that's what uh, that's what kind of inspired me in the beginning. We started up with my co-founder. With that too, then, going through that process of trying to figure out, you're just researching and, and seeing, okay, where are there are opportunities within this? What, what does this kind of industry look like? I mean, how long was that process? And at what point were you like, okay, I feel like I know enough or I'm, I'm good enough now to, to actually pursue this as a business? How long did that take? I'm curious too. Yeah, it's a great question. So um, I'm kind of like a 
grizzled veteran of startups, you know, so, um, <laughs> you know, so I think, um, I a lot of different criteria I wanted to hit, which is like a scalable business that could be very large in a very large market. I pivoted into online proctoring, but online proctoring itself is not this multi-billion dollar market. It's a sub niche within the higher ed landscape. Like, okay, I want to go after something that's a huge market and really impactful. And so healthcare, even like the weird edge case condition could be a multi-billion dollar market if you're pursuing it. So um, there was a lot of spaces there. And also I wanted to actually care about the business itself and be really inspired by the mission as another criteria. And then uh, obviously the business itself had to work really well in terms of unit economics and in uh, the business model. So um, in going through healthcare, you know, I'm, I just, I read a lot, um, researched companies in the space uh, obviously when I had a few false starts, like one, one I really pursued heavily was in the physical therapy space, but great business idea. I had a, a, a very good idea for the physical therapy space, but I realized I wasn't passionate about it. Yeah. I was just kind of solving a problem because intellectually I knew there was an issue that I could solve, but I wasn't like, I will, I'll, I'll dig in and, and work on this all day, every day for years. I didn't have that, that fire. And then I got really inspired by this idea of like, oh, if I build steady MD in the, in the way I envision it, um, I could fundamentally impact a lot of people's lives in a, in a, in a very uh, positive way in terms of health outcomes and care and build a great business. So it's, it's like, who, what better way to wake up every morning and pursue? I probably took about six months in between gigs. If, uh, yeah. to answer the very first part of your question, <laughs> I probably took about, <laughs> took about, uh, it was probably, I did a, probably three months of research and a little bit of time off, obviously. Um, and then, and then pursued one idea, which I nixed. So that was, that took some time. And then, and then, uh, once I thought of steady MD though, and I kind of outlined it, I knew it. Like I, I just knew in, in my, in my soul, I knew this was the best idea I was going to have. And I, I would uh, love to pursue it. So that's why I went after it. Yeah. And I think it's important that you mentioned that understanding that it's not only an opportunity, but something you would actually want to work on. Because there's so many ideas out there where someone could see a good idea, but do you want to spend the next five, 10, whatever years building this or not? Like that's, that's something that's not thought about. Yeah. You're going to go through the ups and downs. And um, I think with anything, and, uh, and I truly believe in our mission. I believe every time a customer or patient signs up, I'm making them healthier and happier. And it's good for them. And, and another side of the business that's in healthcare specifically that I always find surprising startups and bigger companies ignore is the doctors. Yeah. Like a lot of times you'll hear a pitch about a healthcare company or from a healthcare company and the doctors is just commodity on the back end. And, and they're, you know, they're, I didn't, I felt a lot of pain and suffering on the doctor side as well in terms of what they were, um, going through in terms of just like getting squeezed in terms of reimbursements and the pressure to see more and more patients. So we highly value our doctors on SteadyMD and try and create the best job that they could possibly get in America uh, for being a doctor. And so that, that's really been a mission from day one as well. Not patients and doctors. We want to create trust with both groups. I think strangely, a lot of times healthcare ignores the doctor side, which is uh, kind of puzzling.
Yeah, because they're fundamentally the people who are doing That's everything. the product. Yeah, they're the pro- <laughs> they're they're the they're the the product. And actually, if you look at surveys, the number one entity people trust in all of healthcare is not the insurance company. Obviously, I mean not obviously, but most people understand that yeah. it's not the hot brand of the hospital. Definitely not your tech, your iPhone. It's a doctor. Like that's the number one trusted entity in all of healthcare. So we took that concept and kind of built a platform around that core principle that of trust between a patient and a doctor versus um, optimizing for rapid fire appointments or something like that. Yeah. And understand that this was created in, you know, early 2016, like having that vision, you see this problem, you, you understand that. What was the initial version of SteadyMD? Like what was that kind of first thing you put out into the marketplace? I, I'm going to tell you something that's crazy, but I, I still have the email, which is like almost like a napkin sketch of what the <laughs> business should look like. Yeah. It's pretty much the same. That's amazing. We, we've added a ton of features to enhance the, the process, but at the core, you onboard with the doctor that's right for you. And then you're connected with that same dedicated doctor with a limited number of patients via our uh, really robust chat application. You also have a medical assistant. I, can, I mean, I can go more into the product in more detail, but that, yeah. that core vision um, is the same as it is today. And the tech is... Uh, on the patient side, there's a lot on the back end we've done, but on the patient side, it's very similar. So we've added some cool enhancements. One major one, which we did a few years in was we added this doctor matching engine on the front end. So when you come to SteadyMD, you click, I want to match with the doctor. You come in through an employer or a partner. We take you through this quiz where you tell us all about your health, uh, health issues, lifestyle, nutrition habits, diet, uh, social things like I'm a dad or I travel a lot or whatever. I have diabetes, I'm obese, all the things that you care about and that affect your lifestyle. Then we take our database of doctors and we match you to a doctor that's best for you. So I think that with more doctors and more patients, we're able to really enhance that idea of alignment um, where right off the bat, you get a doctor aligned with your life and lifestyle that has an expertise in what you care about. I believe we're the only platform in in the world doing that. And then after you've matched with a doctor, you have a one hour video onboarding with that same physician. And then you're connected to the, to that person for the long term. That's your doctor continuously on our platform. Um, we have phone and video calls, but the majority of our interactions between the patient and the doctor via chat. So we have a really robust text chat platform, similar to Slack, uh, where you can just, you know, you can text your doctor asynchronously about whatever's on your mind unlimited. And then in addition to the robust chat platform uh, on the same platform is a team of medical assistants that do all your prescriptions, labs, all your orders and x-rays and all that stuff, as well as uh, if you need an in-person referral, they, they facilitate that for you. So really, it's really taking this idea of like concierge medicine, which is people pay for more time and attention from a primary care doctor and putting it online and making it awesome with technology, if you, if you want to summarize the, the product. Yeah. And with that too, then, so how did you go about early on getting the first doctors and then patients on the platform? Um, well, if you talk to primary care doctors, they're all kind of looking for new opportunities constantly. It's, um, it's a lower paid part of the medical ecosystem, but I argue the absolute most important. Um, that's a kind of the tip of the spear and the quarterback for your healthcare, right? Yeah. So the system kind of has consistently devalued primary care um, to a point where the ratio of patients to doctors in America is very high. 
So we're approaching, let's say, 3,000 patients for every one primary care doctor. At that number, uh, the doctor's seeing 20, 30 patients a day. They can, they can only give each patient like five to 10 minutes, and then they're spending 50% of their time billing uh, health insurance. So if you, if you cut down the number of patients per doctor and you eliminate the need to bill health insurance, the doctor has, has much more time and attention for the patient. This is most primary care doctors' dream job. Yeah. Because they, they get into the space to build community, build relationships with patients, and we offer them an opportunity to do that. Also, with the added layer of a lifestyle alignment with their patients, so they really like connect with them on a deeper level. So recruiting doctors has never been the issue. We always have a, a ton of applications for physician, from physicians. So um, that wasn't a huge challenge, getting doctors like initially interested and on board. And then, you know, patient acquisition is we're just in the same boat as most, you know, direct to consumer startups where we're marketing online uh, via social media and other channels to capture patients. So with that being said, I mean, what was the pitch to the, the doc? So that, that was the pitch to the doctors, obviously, to get them on board because you may, it seems like a, it's a no brainer. Is this something they're just doing? as like an addition or they have to be full-time on steady MD as, as how does that work? You start out as an addition to your normal job or whatever. And then, uh, and then eventually you can graduate to full-time if you have a full panel. Okay. Gotcha. And then on the patient side, you mentioned kind of your, like a typical D like getting patients, uh, getting uh, actual customers is kind of like t- yeah. similar to other startups then for you then, what are some of those things that you've, you've done in that way? That's, that's worked for you guys at least. One thing's for sure in healthcare, it's just, most healthcare companies are not direct to consumer. Yeah, they sell through employers or insurance, which um, we do. We do some of that too. But um, direct to consumer, you have kind of two major success stories in the last few years. Um, I don't know. Well, I'm kind of two your own in the in that category. But you have like the direct to consumer pharma companies, like your Hims and Romans and all that. Right. And then you have us on the other end of the spectrum, where they're more like, I want this specific pharmaceutical or drug, or I have this specific need and they make that as seamless as possible uh, with a great brand. And we're on the other side, we're like, we're going to sell time and attention with a doctor. That's really our product. Um, Both of the, the, our product exists in the consumer world via something called concierge medicine. There's kind of a proven willingness to pay for our product already in the, in the market. It just wasn't, it wasn't tech enabled or, or marketed to a younger population, but there's already, you know, there's already a multi-billion dollar a year industry in the U S for concierge primary care. So we knew that there was a willingness to pay there. So it's just a matter of um, going through kind of the messaging and finding the right channels. One thing that worked really well that I didn't really know much about, uh, but what, but sort of like um, a great channel for us has been influencer marketing. So that's like health and wellness influencers on Instagram, or maybe they have a website or a product and they promote to their own uh, followers or clients. And that's been really great, especially when we were scaling up in the beginning. Yeah. Now, now we're a little more, you know, just Google, Facebook and influencers. But in the beginning, it was more heavily geared toward influencers because we could really do very targeted um, campaigns with them. And to that point then, I mean, who is SteadyMD for? I mean, what types of people? You mentioned a lot of different use cases kind of. Is it for everyone? I mean, who is this kind of? Any, anyone that wants time and attention from a primary care doctor. Uh, very difficult to get in the brick and mortar world. Um, concierge medicine, the average age is like 70 years old. So 
most people who are younger and healthier, even if you're 55, like not, not younger, than, <laughs> younger than, uh, you know, it, it, they don't get as much benefit from those in-person concierge doctors, or at least that's not what, um, the typical market is for them. If you want to stay healthy and practice preventative medicine, which is people from 20 years old to a hundred, right. There's not really a great way to do that with a medical professional because the medical professional does not get paid to keep you healthy. There's no insurance code for keeping you healthy and happy, <laughs> right? Therefore, if the, doc- the doctors, they're not going to, you know, they're rational and uh, they're forced into this system, but they're going to optimize for, you know, the, the business model that's, that they're working under. So that if there's no inherent business model to keep you healthy and happy and practice preventative medicine, I think it's fundamentally flawed. So we sort of flip the script and our doctors are paid, uh, you know, they're not paid per appointment or for utilization. Our patients have a direct financial relationship with the doctor and that's it. There's no middleman. Mm, gotcha. With that business model, is that what's always kind of been from the beginning or have you adjusted that along the way? From day one. Yeah. Same, same model. Um, we've, we've, uh, currently with, you know, the recent activity in the U S and COVID and all that we've branched out the platform into some other partnerships, uh, which is a whole nother branch of the business, but the core business has really been very consistent from day one. And, uh, trust me when I say like me and my co-founder are, are have done multiple pivots through our careers, like major ones with our, <laughs> our previous startups. And this, this one has stayed relatively consistent, um, yeah. from the beginning. So it's been surprising because I assumed we'd go in like a hundred different directions. Uh, our first patient had a pretty similar experience to the, to the last one that just signed up today. Uh, and you know, the, the, the chat app is way better and the medical ops team is a little more optimized for stuff, but the core relationship with the physician is pretty similar in terms of the offering. And earlier on, you mentioned that, you know, most of these people are just coming like uh, any other startup to, to the, to steady MD, but then you also have these kind of insurance relationships as well. How are you managing both of those? Is there one you're focusing on more or like, how are you going about that? You don't do insurance. You know, n- nothing with insurance? No, so you, you pay a flat monthly rate and you get unlimited access to your doctor. Gotcha. So that's that's, that's the setup. Okay, because I know you mentioned something about insurance earlier on. Um, well, we're having some bigger partnerships now where we work with uh, partners across the industry. But um, but uh, the core model that you know is cons- customer facing is you pay a monthly rate and you get unlimited access to your same doctor and we don't we don't bill insurance. Gotcha. And from that, I mean, what are you seeing on on that side of things with the platform? Like, how are people using SteadyMD? I mean, how frequently are they using it? Like, what what is the typical use cases that they're actually uh, utilizing the platform for that makes it beneficial to you know continually on with this? Let me ask you a question. In in your last uh, job or in your current role, you use Slack. Yep. Okay. Imagine having an individualized instance of Slack with your doctor. There's no friction at all. Yeah, it's just whenever you have. So the 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 touch points are much more frequent, but also a lot more easy and quick to solve, because the doctor is not worried about like if you call your doctor today and you text and be like, "Doctor, I have a rash," and somehow you have your doctor's uh, text, he can text you back and be like, "Okay, try this cream," but he doesn't get paid for that. Yeah, he only gets paid if you come into the office. Or now, I guess with with COVID with telemedicine, he talks to you and he enters that encounter into the EMR. So that's, that's a lot of friction where our doctors can just text you right back. Or even if you read an article or you have a general question, you would never call the doctor about, you can just, you can just text him and uh, he'll get back to you. If it's not an emergency, it might get back to you in a few hours. If it's a, 
mostly it's in a few minutes, you know, right now. Yeah. Um, so we have about a 50% engagement rate per month. So about half the patients text the doctor every month. It's such a useful platform. I'm just like thinking more and more. My, my wheels are turning in my mind. I'm like, why are people not using this? I mean, it just like makes a lot of sense. Like, is there something where uh, even for you look at people using primary care, like the yearly check-in or yeah. whatever like that, like how does that side of things work? Yeah, the, the old kind of arguments for primary care are really getting challenged with the number of patients per doctor. Yeah. So I think uh, most people under the age of, you know, like millennials, let's say, like at least 80% of our patients don't have primary care physicians anyway. Yeah. So they're not going to their person that knows them to get their yearly checkup and measured. Um, they're probably going to urgent care. And you, that's where you see all the investment, whether it's through uh, urgent care chains um, or CVS or Walgreens or Walmart or whatever. They're doing like retail urgent care and you're probably going to get your checkup there in the future. If you want a relationship with a physician, that's what we solve for. And we'll take all your data. We send you out. We send every patient out for blood work, uh, coordinate your prescriptions, monitor treatment from downstream care. Um, it's a way better system than trying to combine urgent care physicals and long-term care from the same doctor. That That's not happening anyway. But um, our system is about that oversight and monitoring and most of all the relationship. So you have a doctor that knows who you are, knows your background and history. It's actually way more efficient than texting or calling or going in to see a random doctor because you have to reinvent the wheel every time. Yeah, My doctor knows me, knows my background, knows my family, knows my history. And I've been chatting with him for four years <laughs> on my platform. So yeah. when I text him on the way to work yesterday, which I did, it wasn't like, well, tell me your background. Tell me your allergies. Tell me this. Tell me that. What's your history? He knew exactly what I was talking about when I texted him and just answered me within two minutes. Yeah, which is so which is so amazing when you look at this space. Why do you think there's not? I mean, or, or I don't know what what is the landscape for this? Then you mentioned like, you guys are some like the only company basically doing it like this. Yeah, no, I know. Well, I don't want to exaggerate. Yeah, primary care is very competitive. Okay, you have your uh, urgent cares, which are run efficiently. They're like factories, right? Uh, they got the assembly line going and you're going to get in and out pretty quick and they're going to bill insurance and make a lot of money. Um, you have your direct consumer pharma company. So you just want, you have one little thing you want to talk to someone about. They'll get you, they'll get you through in like three minutes or um, then moving up the chain, you have Teladoc and doctor on demand and MD live, which is basically online urgent care. Okay. So uh, that's a very low utilization um, business, but they, they have monster contracts with employers and insurers, just not many people use it. And then, um, and then going up, you have like a one medical, which is a hundred bucks a year, but it's a better experience and it have retail locations, you know, maybe 150 bucks a year, you know, mostly paid by employers though. So it's just a well-run primary care chain, but that's actually pretty valuable. Right. Um, and then, uh, and then you have us focused on like this deep relationship aspect. So we stand alone with our like core mission and product, but primary care is a competitive space with a lot of different offerings. Yeah. So I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to exaggerate and say there's no competition. There's definitely competition, but for our core mission, we are the only players that really focus as deep. No, no one's focusing as much as us on the relationship aspect between a doctor and a patient. And is completely online accessible anywhere in the United States today, which is great. I mean, it's I mean, yeah, yeah it's such a useful useful product. I say that again because like thinking about 
I interview a lot of different, different founders. And when you have something that's so seamless and it just makes a ton of sense, it's like, you can't help but be like, okay, well, yeah, duh. But then like, why was this not done before? Uh, but then someone like you guy comes yeah. along and builds it. You're like, well, thank well, you. I think, yeah. <laughs> the low hanging fruit of the industry was like a more of a biz dev play. Sure. You went to employers and you said, Hey, um, I'll charge you a dollar per employee per month. And they'll all have access to telemedicine. That's, that's the current pitch for, urgent care telemedicine, which is a, it's actually a good business. They're doing really well. And uh, pre-COVID, the utilization rate was, let's say like 3%. So the math kind of worked. If you charge a dollar per pay, per employee per month and only 3% of them use it, you can build a business around that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that doesn't, that doesn't excite me as a uh, massive paradigm shift within healthcare, but it's a useful product. I mean, it's priced accordingly to its utilization rate, right? right. So I'm not, I'm actually not anti- People want me to be like very anti that product, but I'm not. I'm just, I just it is what it is. Um, and and uh, and one medical is a good, a nice little flavor of primary care as well. So I think that there's other players in the space that are that are for what they do, they're doing well. But um, that was kind of more of the low hanging fruit. And then we sort of uh, had a unique approach to this idea, and and for some reason we were the first ones to do it. Well, thankfully you are for your sake. <laughs> and with and with this then, you have obviously experience across a couple companies now and having fundraised for a, a couple different companies as well. For entrepreneurs out there who are fundraising, uh, what can you say from your experience like would be helpful or anything around like what your experience has been even just fundraising for companies, specifically SETI-MD now at this point? Um, yeah, I think um, it's just like there's – you can read about the uh, – the amount of work it takes and the number of meetings, but it's really true. And when it's, when you're, it's almost like, um, it's hard to explain to people until you experience it, but you're going to have a lot of meetings. Like, unless of course, uh, there's the outliers that just hit it out of the park on day one. Right. Yeah. And you know, let's, let's say you're not in that category. You have a solid startup that has a lot of potential, but you're in the mix of fundraising. Like you have to run the process. It's, it's hundreds of meetings, you know, so to get one, yes. <laughs> um, and so I think uh, that's something you have to take into account before you get started uh, and just be like, I'm going to, I'm not going to give up. And even though it's, it's, I'd say after, you know, maybe like 20 or 30 meetings, if you're just getting complete no's, there might be something fundamentally flawed. Like you're not even getting uh, any responses, you know what I mean? But um Within the mix, like we have to meet with, you have to meet with hundreds of funds to, to get that round done. I think that's something that uh, always like you get intellectually, but until you experience it, it's uh, you don't know the feeling behind it. So just prepare for that mentally um, and be ready to be uh, diligent and, uh, and not get discouraged around that. How did you set up your process for going through funding? Because you've gone through a number of times now, I re just recently raised a series A and having gone through multiple rounds, like what does your process look like at this point for fundraising? Yeah, I mean, um, I think in the beginning, so my first start was way, way, way harder because um, I didn't know anyone, you know? Yeah. Had a few intros here. And also I didn't know what I was doing too. <laughs> so, so um, you know, the pitch the pitch wasn't as good. I uh, wasn't as tight. Um, now I think I kind of, there's like a rhythm and cadence to it. And I think like after every meeting, you kind of adjust your pitch to what feedback you're getting. And you have to run your startup like this too, right? Where the market might be telling you something that 
you think is annoying and you, and you, um, and you're like, why don't they, why aren't, why aren't they resonating with this message? <laughs> but you have to, you have to kind of take in feedback from the investors, um, in terms of meeting after meeting and, oh, okay, we've heard this three times. This is a real question, even though we don't, uh, we hadn't addressed it in the, in the pitch before we have to get ahead of this. And then by the time you're done, you've, you know, you've pretty much addressed all the obvious questions. And even with that, it takes a lot of work, but I think it's like a discipline around, um, taking in information after every meeting and adjusting, uh, that that's how you should run your startup too. Right. Absolutely. Like every day you're getting, you know, but, um, you should run fundraising like that too, where, um, same product, same company, same management team, but, uh, the, what, what do investors resonate with and what, what can you present to them to get them interested in really like my goal is to have them do due diligence. You know, if they're doing due diligence and looking into it, I, that's a win because I know our product is awesome and works. And, and, uh, if you look into it, it's amazing, but you have to get them to actually want to do that, you know? Yeah. So I think what, what is that should be the, the kind of the goal, um, versus just pounding your head against the wall, doing the same thing again and again and again and not getting results. Uh, you have to really be disciplined around not doing that. There's a t- that's that's probably how I was my first startup. You know, I was just like, like no, this is this is the idea. You know, whereas um, you're getting the same question again and again, you better put it in the front and center in the deck. With COVID, how has that affected your business just overall? I'm curious. Yeah, we're up. Uh, you know, uh, we we uh we have similar growth to like the rest of the industry along the COVID curve. So um march was up a bit and then april was like our best month ever and then may and june kind of ticked that down and then you know there was another spike in july we went right up again (laughs) hit our you know hit our all-time high in july um august we'll see but um if you map out our like extra growth that that we you know same marketing spend but here's our incremental growth it just follows the COVID curve for our core business and then we've uh, we've expanded our partnership business as well and platform business where we uh, take aspects of our core business and and uh, and help other companies kind of execute their telemedicine needs as well. So that business is growing too. So kind of a, have branched out into that whole world of um, you know serv- like platform and services, uh, not necessarily doing our core model, but trying to absolutely maintain this idea of like we're here to source great opportunities for our doctors as well as help other companies meet their uh, telemedicine goals. With that then, with going from, obviously you, you have a super solid core business and it's been basically the same model essentially from the beginning. How do you look at and view new opportunities for growth? Like some of these things you just mentioned. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, um, it's like, what is an experiment we can run here to validate this opportunity? So um, we've run a lot of different experiments that we've, cheaply decided this isn't going to work like an obvious one that um, we we tried was like online therapy which we pushed it out and didn't get much traction i mean reason being there's like 500 well-funded startups in the space now you know so we stand alone in primary care but we did a very micro experiment with one doctor in like three states and we still have it but it's not um it's not something we can like pour money into based on that little experiment. So we've been doing tons of experiments into different verticals. And then the partnerships is the same thing. It's like, what's the cheapest and easiest way to validate if this is a business worth investing in. And then we just 
you know, and then something pops up and we're like, okay, this seems viable. <laughs> let's, uh, <laughs> let's take some of our resources and, and push them towards this. Um, so yeah, it's just, you have to play, like, you have to stay really disciplined around analyzing opportunities and what is the, um, the core long-term benefit for us of proving if this is something we can invest into. It's just, again, staying disciplined and methodical around like, oh, we can very cheaply test this idea with, let's, I mean, I'll just take for us, like one doctor can try doing this. And if it's working for that one doctor, we can expand that to all our doctors. And if it doesn't work for that one doctor, it wasn't this massive risk. So we've, uh, we've, we've tried to stay true to that and not get too excited to spend resources on things that might not be viable long-term or, or even work. In healthcare, you better be disciplined because a lot of things on healthcare work on paper, but don't work in the market. Like it's the industry I think that is most um, susceptible to this product works. It works for the patient, works for the doctor, saves everyone time and money, makes complete sense and no one ever uses it or buys it. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's probably the industry where that statement uh, is the most true. And, and with that, with, with building these products, with, with understanding that side of things where, you know, matching on paper with it, behind all of that is, is your team building everything and helping your, each other grow and everything. Like what have you done to, to build the team? How have you gone about building the team for SteadyMD? Yeah, I think um, we've been really focused on culture um, and uh, bringing in people and making sure they're aligned with the mission, especially the earliest employees, um, but also just like the way we operate. Um, and, uh, in making sure that everyone's on the same page from day one, obviously the bigger you get, the harder it is to maintain that. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, I think you have to have a good base from the start. So it's just like recruiting believers in the mission, in the vision. And, uh, and then, and then obviously like trying to find the most, you know, skilled people that, uh, are willing to be in a startup. Everyone, every single person that you meet will say they want to work at a startup. But uh, it's and it's very hard to screen for people that actually do want to work at a startup and be part of something where, sure, you have a lot of responsibility, but you also have a lot of responsibility, and uh, <laughs> and uh, a lot yeah. hinging on their performance that will fundamentally affect the company from day one. And there's no one behind them that like back them up a lot of the time. Just like this is your job. If you don't do it, we're going to fundamentally hurt as a company. Uh, so finding people and trying to like really have them understand that. And then they're culturally aligned usually is the first screen. And then of course, like skill, skill, you know, that's, that's a little easier to, to assess. And, and to the point of culture, then like for you and for steady MD, like what is, what does that mean for someone who's a cultural fit or someone who like fits your culture? Like what is your culture? Like, what are you looking for from that side of things? Um, I think it's like a, again, it's like the ability to be, um, rigorous and methodical, just like, that's just the way we operate. Yeah. We don't, um, we don't pretend there's extra resources that exist like magically. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> this is this is the resources you have right now in front of you. We need to execute on this idea. How do we test that and figure out how to grow and figure out how to be a better company given given all that data and really embracing that as like a cultural element. I think that's the biggest thing. I think uh, there's a lot of tendencies in small companies to be waiting for tomorrow. And tomorrow when we have X or Y or this new hire or when, or heaven forbid, like you're depending on fundraising to execute on something, um, that doesn't fly here. We're very like, uh, we're going to do it now. We're going to try it today, given the resources we have. And that's it. You know, yeah. it's a, it's, it's kind of just a, a cultural 
cultural thing that we try and we try and like stress here. And that's probably the biggest thing in terms of operations. Uh, well, our biggest core value really is around trust. So we, I, I really believe the platform itself is built on this idea between the trust between the patient and the doctor. So we're immediately trying to establish that. Right. And also the doctors have to trust us as a company and even down to the internal relationships within the company. If I trust you and, um, and uh, I trust you that you're doing your best to make decisions to keep the patients healthy and happy. And I trust you completely. And there's not a lot of communication needed to establish that. Yeah. Then we're going to really be able to execute much more quickly than if it's a like more prescriptive relationship where it's like, no, this is your job. You have to do this. This is the rules. You can have that too. But if it's coupled with trust, it makes all the conversation so much better because we're all aligned on our mission and vision. So really, like, I'd say the number one, like, overarching thing is to enhance trust as a company, like, between everyone. You know, it's, like, probably our why. You know, if you look at Simon Sinek, what's your why? Um, yeah. Enhance trust. And then the kind of, like, operational stuff is, like, be transparent, focus on data, we test ideas, stuff like that. With your experience so far with Steady, obviously, you just relatively recently here raised the, the Series A and you hadn't done that before at that level, at least in terms of funding, how did, how did that impact, you know, your growth moving forward with getting that series a, especially even during COVID then, uh, how you looked at like the growth of everything moving forward and what that was going to allow you to do. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, the, the core business is a marketing game. So it's like, how can we efficiently deploy these resources marketing wise to get more patients? Yep. And then of course, leveling up the team in terms of product management, uh, customer service, medical ops, you know, across the board, we have a pretty, um, extensive business. Like I have a marketing team, we have marketing tech, uh, medical technology and, a unseen under the hood, massively important regulatory team as well, yeah. doing medical yeah. licensing and legal analysis and like all that, then medical operations on the back end. So it's, we're end to end. So all those things kind of, you know, level up the team there, um, in terms of hiring more for different roles versus someone doing like everything. And then, uh, and then obviously like a bunch of the money goes into marketing itself as well. Yeah. And with that too, with so many different aspects of the team and things to work on for you, I mean, as the, as a co-founder, as a CEO, so many different things to work on. How do you prioritize everything as you're, as you're working day to day and week to week? Um, I mean, I have a great co-founder. Uh, so the way the, the way we kind of divvied it up is like, he's in charge of, acquisition, marketing, uh, including like the website, the flow, the user interface until the patient signs up. And then once the patient signs up, it sort of becomes medical operations and retention, right? And how do we take care of this patient in the best way? Um, that's like our operational split. Um, so really, uh, you know, obviously resource allocation is based on data and like, should we allocate resources to this marketing thing? Should we put money into this medical operations feature? That's more of a discussion. Um, and then, uh, and so, but we've really have a fantastic partnership where it's like one team in LA or not LA, but like he, my co-founder is in Los Angeles. Um, he acquires patients and we retain them. And uh, then there's a million KPIs around that. And retention is about great care and establishing trust and taking care of the patient in the best way possible. Right. Um, and making, that includes keeping the doctors happy and then making sure that we're all aligned on the mission and, and all that. In marketing, it's about, you know, creating the top of the funnel to create 
great relationships downstream. So, um, yeah, I mean, so, so we have a good, uh, a good division of labor in terms of the team and everyone sort of knows their role and where they sit on the funnel. And, uh, and, you know, I try and be super transparent about like, this is where your role is and this is how it affects the whole company. Um, and these, and you might not see this when you're grinding away on your, on the little thing you're doing, but at the end of the day, you're making patients healthier and happier. And that's pretty cool. And then diving a little bit deeper into kind of how you run your day. I'm, I'm curious, like always just on schedule type of things, like what time do you wake up? Uh, how late do you end up working during the, during the week? Because the thing is like every entrepreneur has a different case, but what I always am curious about, like you could in theory work 24 seven as an entrepreneur, especially because there's so many things to do, how you decide on when the eight, the day ends, how you decide on, Oh, weekends, I'm going to work the whole weekend, not work the weekend. Like that type of thing as well. I'm curious. That's a good question. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not big on like hours worked as a value. Right. You know, I'm, I'm kind of just like the proof is in the pudding and the results. And I try and run the company that way too. It's like, um, there's this weird like thing about working lots of hours is the goal. And if you've worked lots of hours, then you've accomplished your mission. I don't like that. So I don't really like, like to refer to hours worked as a, I, I like to just look, the proof is in the pudding of what we've built. Um, so I care about my employees and their life and their mental health and all that. But um, there's not a, everyone's working a lot of hours because we're in a startup, of course, right? Of course. And there's, and there's the weekend calls and the, and the fire drills at, at, at either 6am or 11pm, whenever I hear about it, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a, um, but we're all on a mission. And, and I think, uh, I don't really like, I don't, I don't really hard working. A lot of hours is not the goal. The same way, like practicing a lot for sports is not the goal. It's, it's to get to the game and execute. Yeah. Right. It's not, it's not, it's not, um, a great story to be like, I practiced eight hours a day for the Olympics. It's, I efficiently figured out how to like optimize my life and, uh, exercise routine to get a gold medal at the Olympics. No one really cares about the first part, you know? So I think it's like, we focus on execution and, uh, results. At least I do. Yeah. And then, uh, versus like how many hours did you work this week? That I, I mean, that's not. That's not part of my uh, analysis. It's more about like, did we get done what we need to get done? So I don't know if I'm answering your question, but you asked yeah, me some. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, that's the direction I decided that's to perfect. go. That's perfect. That's yeah. perfect. I, yeah. I agree. It's not necessarily about the hours, but there is a thing of like, okay, some people decide I'm going to shut it off at 6 p.m. and 7 p.m. because I'm going to hang out with my kids or other people are like, it, it's in flux. And you know, everyone has a different answer, but I think it's helpful for some people to be like, oh, I'm struggling with this, this managing, uh, when to, when to stop work, when, you know, it's just taking over my whole life. And like, ah, I think it's just nice to have some context. You know what I mean? I'm older now, you know, probably my first startup. I struggled with that more, uh, not just the hours, just the internal anxiety of running a startup. (laughs) Um, (laughs) now I've been doing it for years. I kind of, um, just maybe I'm more used to it or maybe I'm just, uh, you know, have more perspective, but, um, you know, I'm not going to, you know, sacrifice my relationship with my kids right. you know, for, for this. So I, you know, I try, you know, I, I don't really want to comment on the hours. I don't think that's important. I think it's make sure you have a good relationship with your kids. You do what you got to do and you carve out time for them as like a number one. If you're not doing that, you're going to be unhappy and probably suffer internally. Yeah. And uh, what, what, also like, what do you, when you're in stars for a long time, like what is it all for? Right. <laughs> exactly. It's like to what end? So at the end of the day, you have to have a good relationship with your, your family, your spouse and your kids. Otherwise it's like, 
what are you doing all this for? You know, like, what's the point? What's <laughs> the uh, point? Then? Yeah, what's the point? You know, yeah. I mean, I guess you can make a lot of money, but like, then, then what? <laughs> you know, culturally, uh, we value family a lot at our company. Both me and my co-founder have uh, more than one kid. You know, um, so we know we're we're not like. I think if the founder is has a sleeping bag at the office, that'll filter down. Oh yeah, you know, um, and maybe I was a little more anxious and liked it at my last startup than I am now, but now I got a lot more perspective. Absolutely. And, and for you, uh, I'm just curious, are you, are you a big reader or is there any books that have been helpful specifically for you as you've kind of gone along this journey, personal or professional? I am a big reader. Um, not just, uh, not just business books, uh, but you know, just, you know, I like to read a lot. Um, we, we, uh, that, that's a nice cultural thing too. There's a lot of readers at the company too. So we like to share, share cool books that we've read. Um, even though like politically he's he's not aligned with a lot of startups, I thought Zero to One was fantastic by Peter Thiel. Yeah. Like as a business book. Um, just like very clear and concise. And then uh one book I really think every startup founder should, both books is uh, Ben Horowitz. The two books he's written I think are like the best guide around culture. Yeah, it's like what you do is who you are is one of them. The hard thing about hard things, I think, is the other one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, those great. those two, and then and then you know you can go at like, I like books about like economics, statistics. I have a master's in economics actually from like way back when, <laughs> you know, 20, 20 years ago. So I'm I uh, I like books about like you know psychology, economics, stuff like that, and then the you know just interesting books about random stuff I find interesting. Yeah, and and one thing just to kind of shift topics a little bit here for you getting an MBA at, at Wharton. What was the reason for that at the time? I'm just curious. I was in consulting before um, Wharton, really doing like hardcore economic eco- economic and econometric statistic research, um, first on the banking side and then uh, and then in consulting, like management consulting. Yeah. And um, I was just like searching for a way to apply those skills to something I cared more about. Um, so I kind of went in with that vision and then I interned for a venture capital firm the summer at Wharton. And then, um, I, I could have gone into VC, but I really like looking back, I had no other choice. I was going to start a company. <laughs> so I started a company right after Wharton. So I kind of got the entrepreneurial, um, I always kind of wanted to pursue it, but, uh, I got super passionate about it while I was at Wharton. I was like, Oh, there's nothing else I really want to do. I didn't interview for anything. Like I didn't go after banking or the typical Wharton grad is going banking or consulting like right. 80%, let's say, yep. or 80, 90%. Um, I was kind of an odd, actually now it's not that odd. You know, there's a lot of startups out of Wharton, but back then, uh, it wasn't as popular, probably like 20, 30 people out of 800 went in to start their own companies. Um, my year, there was a lot of great companies started. So I think that started the, the popularity and trend more. And now like every direct to consumer startup is started by a Wharton grad. It's pretty funny. It's like, it's like become a factory and any item of clothing you want, chair, furniture there's a wharton startup behind it probably that has a cool <laughs> cool, cool site and, and can sell it to you nice little collection of people there then with, with the community you can outfit your whole house and wardrobe with wharton direct-to-consumer startups that's incredible where can people go to learn more about steadymd and connect with you guy steadymd.com her you know and then and then of course um Anyone has any questions or wants to connect, it's guy at steadymd.com. Pretty simple. Perfect. I'll be sure to link that up as well. Show notes, everything we've talked about in this episode. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today, Guy. Sure, man. No, thanks for having me. It's always fun to 
fun to, to talk about the company and myself. So I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.